All right, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and let's start in verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly do, we love you, and we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask your blessing, your help upon our service tonight. We pray, Lord, that you would use your word to draw us closer to you, to be a help. Lord, I pray that uh, you would control what I say and how I say it. Use it to strengthen us and draw us closer to you. And if there is anyone here who has never truly trusted Christ as their Savior, Lord, we pray that even this evening they'd repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. The Bible has a lot of different ways of describing Satan in the Bible. We see him at work here right in the very beginning of the Garden of Eden uh, with this uh, one of the most well-known texts of the fall of man. And little did they realize in the moment what was taking place of the massive, massive ramifications that would happen when they disobeyed God and ate of the, of the tree which they were commanded not to, that tree of life which they did eat. They disobeyed God and it plunged this entire world in an entirely different direction. The Bible describes Satan as a roaring lion, as an angel of light. Roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for that. He, of course, was an angel in heaven, uh, had one of high position, uh, dealt with music, and no doubt he had some even authority. And we know that pride crept in. I almost preached tonight on the, on the deadly sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, the Bible lists them for us, and it's probably not what you think. Pride is the first one that was mentioned that was there that led to their downfall. And the the devil had that come in, and of course he fell. His influence was great. A third, a third, just incredible to think about. A third of all those angels fell with him. 
So we have an active devil of Satan, a fallen angel, who has a great deal of power. He certainly isn't even close to all-powerful or all-knowing, not even close to the realm of God. But nonetheless, he was a very powerful being, and he certainly is active in the earth right now. We know that as Christians in our life, and within the lost, he concentrates on one area primarily, and that is keeping them blind, keeping them away from the gospel. He wants them hindered from it, however, whether they're just just so preoccupied with the events of this world, they don't have time to think about religion, or it's through a false religion to keep their mind occupied and away from the gospel, whatever it is. He'll use whatever he can to try and keep the lost blind. It's, it's, that's one of the reasons it's our job to go and preach the gospel, is to give that knowledge of the truth, to, that blindness can, can be changed. For the Christian, it's a different focus, of course. We already have truth. We've come to trust Christ. And as such, we become enemies of the devil immediately. Um, we went from basically, as the Bible puts the Lord put it, basically we're going his child to God's child. We became his enemy. We became a target as his enemy. Make no mistake about it. If you are saved, you are a target. Now, just like in a real war, targets have different priorities. They have different levels of priorities. There are some Christians, to be honest, he doesn't do much with. They're so already preoccupied with everything else. He sees very little threat from them, especially when it comes to the gospel or in any way of glorifying God. The devil was thrown out of heaven. Keep in mind, he's a fallen creature with power. Um, You can just imagine the bitterness that's built up in this being with power against God. The one that he hates is God. He's mad. Back to us. So the devil, when it comes to the Christians, again, there's different priorities. There's different targets he has to assess. Who do I go after? Again, he's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He has to prioritize this. Okay? And you can see, his, you can see that in a devilish sense, the wisdom he has. You can look at the downfall of our own nation. A nation that was a serious threat to Satan and his purpose. We became the, the focus of God in getting missions throughout the entire world. A world that had been blinded in paganism, idolatry, polytheism. Just blinded. All of a sudden, here's this nation. And Satan's realizing God's plan. He's like, oh, look what's taking place. And you can see his attack beginning to come in, especially, you know, 19th century, he went after, he began to break down different religion systems based on truth. We had all the isms popping up that people still follow today, from Mormonism, Jehovah Witness, the charismatic movement's roots were even beginning to tie in in the late 19th century. It really took hold 20th century, but the the roots were already there. Um, SDAism. Uh, Church of Christ, you can name it, all these different groups that sprung up in that 19th century. 20th century comes along and, and, and you still had a nation that as a whole was greatly affected with truth, uh, with the Word of God. It was, it was affecting the, the entire culture, whether saved or lost. You had a country that for the most part was pretty moral. I mean, there's still sin everywhere. Sin was still there. Sin's always abounding. But as a whole, it was an example to the entire world what the gospel can do. 
Well, Satan wasn't going to take that lying down. He was going to attack that. And he did. He did. I think, it, I think he had a lot of different avenues he had to attack. He hit the educational institutions. The Harvard. Yale. Princeton. Those that started off as Bible colleges. Schools of theology. They were attacked. He just didn't attack on that front within our educational system. He also began to attack in another form that would come, because he's not all-knowing, I think he failed to even realize what great effects this would have. And that would be on the entertainment system that was in the United States. When it first came into, into place, there wasn't much regulation on it by the government. And so man's wickedness took a little bit of direction, nothing like today, but it still began to take it a direction where it wasn't supposed to go. Laws were basically passed. We're not having this. It will be moral. It will be right. That's why in the old television shows, when it went into a married couple's bedroom, you saw two beds. It's because of that decision that was made right after the entertainment industry started taking off that we want serious morality in place. So two beds would be in place. That was reversed in the 1960s. That was taken off, and things changed immediately. Okay? You began to see a breakdown of the culture. A culture shift was taking place. And I'm leaving off a lot of details here. The home was also being attacked on several different fronts. So you had the educational system being affected. You had the home being affected. Um, you had entertainment coming into play that was, that was becoming a main part of American culture. So there were elements in place that led to the breakdown of the culture to where we are even this day. Satan recognized that as a nation, he had to do something about this. And he did. Uh, and we look where we're at right now. I mean, we're at a nation that has accepted... I mean, the... I'm not being mean. I mean, I, I, hope, I hope that there's extreme liberals watch this online. I'm not being mean when I say this. The blindness and the truly the level of stupidity that we are believing nowadays is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, I listen to those people that actually believe that a person can choose their gender, that there just isn't two. And I'm still, it's still astounding to me that we're here. Um, and, and I'll listen to their arguments, and they argue it with such passion, failing to realize the utter foolishness behind it. I mean, actually trying to believe it from an intellectual point of view, as if, no, no you're just not getting it. That this is different than DNA. And then when they step back, it's like they never step back and say, okay, let me see the effect it's having on a culture. Or the people that are involved in it. The confusion it's causing. Not because of us. Because of what they're tearing down. <clears throat> the devil knew what he was doing when he was attacking our nation. Um, and at the same time, though, he also had to be attacking churches. What I mean by churches is Christian families. Because what would hinder his progress in that? It would be churches. It would be churches. So, as I mentioned, 
we are certainly on his enemy list. Make no mistake, you are too. All of us are. Um, Teenager, as you get older, understand this. You make the target list. You're on it. Matter of fact, you have all your years ahead of you. He knows exactly what you could accomplish. You're a target. You're a target. It needs to be feared as an angel of light and a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may devour. He knows that the sovereign God, in his greatness, in his might, in his love for the entire world, can use any one of us, any one of us, in a great way in reaching this world. He's well aware that the sovereign God has a will for your life. That not, Think about this. That there's not one single person where God's will for their life will not have an effect on multitudes. The devil knows that. All right? So you as his target, he has to figure out, how do I attack? What do I need to get done? He just can't go and kill you. God's not going to allow that. He's not. He's not going to allow that. But he knows what God does allow, in a sense, because of who God is. All right? He knows that God desires us to serve him out of our choice. That we choose to love God. That we choose something simple as to come to church, not out of duty, but because we want to be here. Well, the devil understands how this works. Again, this is a powerful being. I'm not going to, you know, I I get amazed today at these, these people that are, uh, I don't know, the more in the charismatic, I, I mean, they just don't know what they're dealing with when it comes to the devil and his, and, and his minions. <clears throat> so, for all of us, from myself on down and our teenagers, the devil will do whatever he can. One of his attacks is going to be this. To keep you from, or remove you from, depending where you're at, God's will. We read in Genesis chapter 3, man is in a perfect environment, in the garden, an amazing place. I mean, it would have been incredible what it was about. I guarantee you this, that on a November, what is today's date? 8th, 7th, 6th? November 6th, it would not have been dark out at 5 o'clock. It would not have been one degree out that morning. It would have been perfect. They're there. But remember, there's something that is unique to life. And God knew that. God knew what was coming. None of this is a surprise to God. God's incredible. I mean, he is. If you just think about it for a second, it really is amazing. But from Adam and Eve's perspective, they didn't understand sorrow. They didn't understand hurt. They never experienced it. But for the purpose of this message, and staying still true to the text, God's will for their life was in that garden. That's where it was. So the devil was going to focus on getting them out of it. 
get out of the garden. He wanted them out of the will of God. It's true of all of us. Satan will work masterfully, by the way, at getting you removed or never getting to the will of God. Now, here's what's great. The devil, in all that he does have, it doesn't even come close to what we have in Christ. It doesn't. It doesn't. All right. In other words, I mentioned before. I remember I had I had to I had a I'm in elementary school, and the big thing in elementary school is we always got in a, like once every two months there was a fight, and so I had to fight Casey. Ugh, I hated fighting Casey. He was tough. I wasn't going to win. And and we were going to meet. Literally by the slide to fight. <clears throat> and me and my brother, we never got along till years after I graduated. He's three years older than me. Years after I got out of high school. I was in Alaska, I think, before we even got along after I was in the Air Force. We never got along growing up. Um, it, it wasn't, it was just, I was three years, the three years age difference I think was just too much. We just never got along. But I still remember the day I had to fight Casey. He came with me. I didn't ask him to. He followed he knew, my little brother's going to get beat to a tar. I'm, I'm going to be there to make sure it's just not too bad. But I had him there. When we're in this world, with everything the devil has going for him, it cannot, com- and Casey couldn't compare to my brother's strength. I mean, he was, Casey was, I think, about my age, not three years older. And when you're nine to a 12-year-old, that's a big difference. So, Christian, what we have in God is there to help you stay in God's will and know God's will. The devil will always attack that. Listen, young person, the devil will do whatever he can to distract you from, keep you from God's will for your life. And there is nothing better than that. Nothing. Genesis chapter 3 we learn some things about Satan. And that's what I want to point out in this message. I want to point out some things so you can be trying to give you some biblical wisdom on what to look out for. Because as, as I've tried to make the case, the devil's been at this for 6,000 years. He knows what he's doing. If you are not relying on God, you have no hope at this. If you are, oh yes, You can find God's will, you can know it, and you can stay in it every day of your life. So here's what I want to point out, what Satan did in the garden, because it hasn't changed. Now the serpent, in verse 1, was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, stop right there, verse 1. Eve was not looking for Satan. Satan was looking for Eve. All right? So let's start there for all of us. All right? Young person, whoever you are, Satan already has your address. He already knows where you're at. He already knows. Eve did not have to go looking for it. You say, well, I'm not looking for it. It doesn't matter. That's not how this works. It's not how this works. 
It's not that you have to go openly looking for rebellion. Sure, Satan can use that. That's, that's a piece of cake. You don't have to do much of that. Our own flesh takes us the way of rebellion. That's a piece of cake. His attacks are concentrated on those who want to try and find God's will. Those who want to stay in it. He knows your address. You might not be looking for him, but he's looking for you. So husband, you better look out for it. Wife, you better look out for it. Teenager, listen. Use wisdom. He uses different things. Look at Colossians chapter 2 with me. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 8 says this. It's an interesting verse. The church at Colossae had problems with different doctrines and what Satan was doing to attack it. Let me just read this verse. Verse 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. That's a powerful one. After the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Satan comes in using some of these ideas that are presented here in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8 to spoil you. What that means is to ruin you. To ruin you. Whether it's through different philosophies, and think of all the philosophies flying around in churches today. My goodness! Some of them are so anti-biblical, and they use these in the name of God. Incredible! worldliness, carnalness, flooding in, like we're ignorant to it. And just incredible. The devil will do his best to get you to follow the philosophies of men. Something coming from man's corrupted mind. Anything else but the mind of God. Something based on the rudiments of this world. Listen, if all of a sudden what your heart is searching for is of the rudiments of this world, it's not of God. Remember 1 Peter 5 8. The devil has a roaring lion, excuse me, seeking whom he may devour. So let me ask you this. If that's true, we, we, we quote it. It's a Sunday school verse probably from the time you were probably 12 years old. The devil as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This powerful being that exists with an innumerable amount of other angels at his disposal, uh, at his disposal under his leadership. How are you preparing for that attack? What do you have in place right now? You know, if, if you're out hiking here in Alaska, you're out hiking in a trail, and you come across another hiker, and he tells you this. He says, listen, there is a sow with cubs half mile down this trail. I bet you change how you look at that hike. 
I bet you two things come into play immediately. Sober and vigilance. Immediately. For me, I'm turning around. I'm done. <laughs> Hike just ended. <laughs> Why? Because now you know this isn't just a normal hike anymore. There's a threat. Listen, in your life right now, you're in your garden. There's a threat. In every single one of our gardens, there's a serpent. He's there. How are you preparing for this attack? I can think of different examples in my own life being set up like a chessboard at different times. I can think back to being a teenager. Right when I started, I mean, just getting so excited and serving God. Things taking off. I had no idea I became an enemy. I became a target of the devil. I wasn't even conscious of it that night. But boy, looking back, you can see him setting everything up. After work, asked out to dinner the, the guy who was my best friend at the time, the preacher's son in our church. We had out. Several co-workers are there. And I had no idea. This was all a setup for me. Not a clue. I would find out in about 30 minutes. And again, at this time, I'm really trying to serve God. I'm, trying to, I'm just, just beginning to take off. And the dinner ends. I still remember one of the girls that was there. There was a, several of the co-workers there. Her name, her name was Heidi. And Rick had me come. I had my car back at work. Rick had me drive in his car. That was part of the setup, and I didn't know it. And so we're leaving, and Rick said, I don't remember how it worded now. He's bringing somebody else back, jump in the back seat. He had a little Mustang. And I jumped in the back seat, and all of a sudden, Rick had closed his door. He didn't get in. I got in on the driver's side. It was just a two-door car. And I got in the back seat, and he just shut his door without getting in. The other side opens, and Heidi gets in the back seat, and everybody left. And I realized, I've been set up. And I turn around, she's already undoing a button. Only thing I did was get, I just left. I knew I need to leave right now. Listen, the devil will set you up in different ways. He can use, as we see in Colossians chapter 2, philosophies. Vain deceit. Rudiments of the world. Remember this. Eve did not go looking for Satan. Satan knew where to find her. Secondly, we see this. Look back in Genesis chapter 3. Here's the first words out of his mouth. Yea, hath God said. Hmm. Know what he's going to do with her right now? He's going to play Bible trivia. That's what he's going to do. Listen, you have to know God's word. He's going to use, try and use God's word and twist it against you. He's going to try and get you to use God's word to sin. Did he do that to the Lord? He did. To the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe. What do you think he's going to do to you? 
He's going to play Bible trivia with you. Yea, hath God said. He's going to come in with doubt. He wants to attack those truths of the Word of God that you have held to, that can change you, that can keep you in the garden. He's coming after him. I guarantee it, he's coming after him. Does God really want you to do that? Do you think that's, I mean, I mean, I mean, come on, look at our day today. Do you think that's really, really how you need to act? Do you think that's really how you need to dress? I mean, did God really say that you should not drink alcohol for a minute? Why? Is that really in there? I mean, when I look at, at communion in the Bible, I'm pretty sure they're drinking alcohol. I mean, how about that guy that was dying there in Proverbs? Didn't it say? Yay, has God really said that? Maybe some of these times I should let you in a counseling session with those that alcohol has complete control of their life. And you still then argue for me when they walk out, oh, God's all for alcohol, for our enjoyment and our pleasure. And don't worry, I, I need to teach on the word wine in the Bible. I need to do a little series on that. We'll play Bible trivia with you. Want to know why? To get you out of the garden. He wants to belittle the authority of God's word in your life. However, he can undercut it. If he can just get you to question and doubt that it's actually God's word, that's worked great in the last 70 years, hasn't it? Getting people to doubt it. One of the biggest Bible critics in, in existence is the guy by the last name, what's his last name? Is it Ehrman? Uh, and and he, how he came to his place is fascinating. At first, I think it was at Moody or Wheaton first. He went to both colleges. All right. This guy today is one of the, the leading critics of the Word of God. He now teaches at uh, UNC, um, Theology and Bible, but his class is all about destroying this book. That's all it is. Making a mockery of it. There's a waiting list for his class. I remember the first time I came across one of his books, it was back in the 90s, and I was here. It was at that, I used to love the big bookstore that was that, that it was a Borders books, at the huge building at the corner of Diamond and Old Seward there. And I was in there one day reading, and one of his books came in, and I, I knew who he was already. And I started reading, I'm just like, wow. But I didn't know his background yet. So he was a Moody and Wheaton grad, graduate one of them, I think he just switched schools, and he said this. He had said he came to a crossroads. This is due to some of the professors in those colleges, by the way, that were causing doubt, yea, hath God said in his mind. When he entered those colleges, he believed this was God's word. Never knew there was an issue with it. He didn't. Didn't even know it. He got on there and saw all the questions. Well, this should have been this. This should have been this. And he came to the right conclusion. He said, wait, if they're right, then I can't trust any of it. And he says this. He says in his own, in his own words, his own writings, I, I had a choice to make. Either I have to accept all of this, every word, as the word of God. Knowing who God is, that he had preserved it, all that. 
or none of it. Now, he made the wrong choice. He made the wrong choice and went the wrong direction. You know what it all started? Yea, hath God said. Listen, you'll hear that. One day, the Lord might move you on in your job to a whole new church. You know what you're going to start hearing a whole lot of? Yea, hath God said. You better know why you believe what you believe from the authority of Scripture. Not just because, well, it's our church that does it. Know why you believe what you believe. You are in great trouble if you only have a general idea of what the Bible teaches. You need to know the book. We quote a verse, and it, it does deal with Bible memorization. I don't have a trouble with it being used that way, but it means much more than that. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Do you understand how much more that's dealing with about hiding God's word in your heart? We purely look at that from a memorization standpoint, but it's much more than that than what it's saying. It's dealing with you knowing it, having your heart. Do you understand how that arms you when the devil comes with one of his primary tactics? Yea, hath God said. And listen, you better watch out for those friends that put those doubts in your mind. Yea, hath God said. Now, Eve's response here was wrong. Before she ever ate of the apple, or the apple, the fruit, excuse me. Before she ever ate of the fruit. But I, I probably told the story. Now I have to. I'm stuck on it. We're going to be here all night after this story. I know that. But I got to. It's just so ridiculous, but so typical of, of, of a lot what independent fundamental Baptists were like a couple of decades ago. So you, you, have, you have the guy who is, and I've heard he since repented of a lot of the stuff, and I, I certainly hope that's true. I don't know. I, I would never have him in. I do know that. And that was Dr. Bob Gray out of Longview, Texas. So this, this guy, you know, him and his, his dad sold out everything to go to Bible college there. Just sold out everything, goes to Bible college there. And him and his dad are in Bible college together. He's all excited about it at first. And he said, but his dad, who... who, who According to him, turns out was was a pretty good guy, pretty smart guy. He realized a couple semesters in, this is not what I thought. And he gave the example of one of the classes. So they're in the class, and if you know that, so you, you don't question authority, you don't question anything. I mean, that's the man of God. You don't touch God's anointed. And that verse is used way out of context in relation to pastors and Bible teachers today. Way out of context. And so the instructor was teaching. And after all, the only thing he had to do there was be willing to knock on doors for 124 hours that week to be qualified to be an instructor, not actually know the Bible. And so he was teaching, and he went on a segment where he knew what the fruit was. Knew what it was. It was grapes. Because alcohol comes from grapes. So I guess he'd waxed eloquently in the class and telling him how he, this is it, this is what it is. And he said, my dad kept on putting his hand up. He said, put the hand up. And he'd go and put his hand back up, put your hand up. And he put his hand up. Put hand, and finally he finished, and his dad destroyed his whole theory in one sentence. He finally called, he goes, yes, what is it? He had said, grapes grow on a vine, not on a tree. 
Here's where Eve messed up before she ever took of the fruit. She talked over the temptation. What she just did right there, listen to me, she gave space for the devil. You stop to talk it over, it's just a matter of time. She should have walked away. You don't see Joseph deciding to talk to Potiphar's wife. He's getting out of Dodge. If he talks, he knows where it goes. And listen, whatever that fruit is Satan's putting before your eyes, listen to me, it looks good. It looks like you want that. You don't want to know the real purpose of it? To remove you from the garden. That's all it is. That's why it's there. It's to remove you from the garden. Notice what the devil did next. Let's go back to our text. Verse number four. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Hmm. Know what the devil likes to do? He wants you to question God's judgment that will fall. He wants to put doubt in your mind about God's judgment. You shall not die. Listen, judgment's coming. It is. Judgment's coming. You think you're going to be able to stay in your garden and still eat of that fruit. It's not how that's going to work. And remember, I can tie this in. We can in the book of Proverbs tie this in. What I'm trying to give you right now is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. The devil wants you to question that judgment so it releases some of that fear. Which is the beginning of wisdom. He wants you to question God's judgment. I need to move on. Fifthly. Fourthly, actually. The devil wants you, verse 5, For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Look at his strategy right here. Look what he's doing to her. You know, he's getting her to question God's word, not worry about God's judgment. He was the one looking for her. And then... He really goes for it. He's, he's planting a seed in her mind right now about God's goodness. God's holding back from you. See, really, you'd be a threat to God. He knows you'd be like him. He's planting that seed in her mind, questioning God's goodness. You see, God doesn't, the devil doesn't do that anymore. Oh, he does it all the time, all the time to Christians, all the time, all the time, all the time. It's almost as if without, I mean, I'm going to put it in a way that it, that it is, but it's not like, understand, we as humans, when we're going through a process, we rationalize our actions. We justify, we rationalize. We put it in a form so that we can sleep at night. All right? But the devil's great to get you to question God's goodness so that you will surrender all to him. You think you're going to miss out. You're not. You're not. He's simply actually getting you to question God's goodness for your life. By staying in the garden, you're not missing out. 
when the devil gets you to doubt God's goodness, sometimes your actions, know, know what else that lessens a little bit, by the way? Your sin no longer looks as sinful. You read Romans chapter 7, the devil has you then. When you no longer see your sin as sinful as it should be, oh, yeah, that's an avenue in. I don't know how many times I do this. The devil will even use your own self-pity against you. We like to be victims today. He uses your own self-pity against you. I've heard the argument. Let me, get, let, me, let me show you what I mean by that. And it, this does come back to God's goodness. You can tie it together. You certainly can. I know what that says. But I know God wants me to be happy. By the way, when you begin to doubt God's goodness at any level, you will not at all be willing to pay a price for your service to God. Now, the techniques used, we gets into verse 6 here in our text. I don't have to spend a lot of time here. We deal with them. That can be its own sermon, as a matter of fact. I have sermons just on this text. That is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Please don't be ignorant. All those are to get you out of the garden. If something is pulling you based on the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life, it's to get you out of the garden. Again, Satan's target is to remove you from the garden, to get you out of the will of God. He knows, again, what a life can do. He knows what a church can do. He knows what a country can do. He will do what he can to break it down. He knows what he's doing. He's going to come at you with these tactics. And listen, it's not again. The greatest life you will ever live is whatever God wants. Especially when all of a sudden you're there in eternity standing before him. And you hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what it's all about. Listen. Listen to me. The devil wants you to waste your life. Young person starting now from your youth that you have, the time that you have, the energy that you have. He wants it wasted. Listen. A wasted life is not just a drug addict or a drunk. It's not. A wasted life can also be someone following the American dream. A wasted life can be somebody who's given themselves the pride of life. A wasted life can be somebody who's consumed with comfort more than they are Christ. Who's concerned with self more than they are sacrifice. One consume more with money than they are the master. Listen, the devil is, is as a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. And you know, all we have to do, let, let me finish with this. Go to the book of James. This is what's amazing. This is how simple this is. We make this complex and there's no, no need for it. Again, I remember back in my teenage years and hearing how complex it was to be spirit-filled and all that you had to do and, you know, pray straight without sleeping for 75 days.
Here's what you got to do. Verse 6. But he giveth, that's being God the he, more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth what? The proud. Pride's always going to have and the devil's going to use. Pride, 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 pride. But he giveth grace unto who? The humble. Now when you're there, guess what you can do? And that's verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's about that, as it goes on to say, draw nigh unto God. It's about you submitting unto Him. Where the protection comes in is in a genuine, true relationship with God. God, whatever you want. Staying close to God. Listen, all of us are real targets of the devil. But what we have in God is much more powerful. The question is, are you ready for the attack? With heads bowed and eyes closed. Now, let me ask this really quick. I don't think we have any first-time visitors here tonight, but maybe this has been bothering you. Say, Pastor, listen, this thing of my salvation, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm not sure when I die if I'm going to heaven or not. I don't know what's happening to me. I'm questioning my salvation. I don't know if I'm saved. Pastor, I need you to pray for me. If that's you here this evening, please, we certainly want to address that. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and let me see that, please? All right, Christian, if the Lord spoke to your heart tonight, you come and pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you bless this invitation, work in hearts and lives. So I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Turn to page 495, and if you need to come and pray this evening, you come and pray.